As we make our holy hour tonight, I want to briefly contemplate this scene of the Garden of Gethsemane. That way, that very first holy hour of the apostles and the first steps in our Lord's passion. Whenever we prayerfully meditate on the passion, we accompany Jesus and even console him as he undergoes the painful way of Calvary and the cross. Our Lord's passion can and should be a frequent theme in our prayer. St. Thomas Aquinas says that the passion of Christ is enough to serve as a God and model throughout our lives. And St. Bonaventure credited the crucifix as a source for all of his writings and doctrines. As he explained, this is the book that tells me what I should write. The little I know I learned from it. Much of our prayer and meditation on Christ's passion can take place by imagining the different scenes, picturing ourselves there watching. But I remember one time a very great suggestion I received, which is exactly what Louisa does in her Hours of the Passion book. It is to contemplate the passion of Christ not just as an observer, not just as one of the people in the scene, but from the point of view of Christ himself. To experience it as he lived it. To see and identify in those scenes, what are his thoughts and feelings? What are his pain and suffering? Because our goal is to achieve that true imitation of Christ. And in this prayer, we identify ourselves with him. And so we do that in this scene of the agony in the garden. We might ask, what would Jesus have felt there as he takes upon himself the burden of all the sins of the world, all the acts of wickedness, of disloyalty, of sacrilege, as he took on each and every one of my sins? What loneliness must he have known when three times he finds his disciples fast asleep, the friends he had taken with him for company that night, What pains did he feel in foreseeing how many of his disciples would also fall over the course of the centuries? And Jesus foresaw his greatest suffering, knowing the souls who would reject his love and be lost because they failed to receive his offer of forgiveness and salvation. When Jesus had completed the Last Supper, having instituted the Eucharist and sharing the new covenant with his disciples, they sang their hymns of thanksgiving and came to Gethsemane. He said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus felt this tremendous need to pray. Just as we saw when at the beginning of Lent, he went into the desert. He actually prays before every significant moment in his life. And here now that his hour is at hand, already feeling dejected, knowing he will be betrayed by a friend and denied by the apostles. Indeed, he fell on his face and prayed, prostrating himself before the Father. Here Christ shows his full and genuine humanity. As he foresees his betrayal and arrest, his trial and passion, his crucifixion and death, he feels that same repugnance to suffering and death that we do. 
the devil who could not conquer Christ in the wilderness, returns now in this hour of darkness, tempting him to avoid his death with all its pain and suffering. See what Christ does in this time of desolation, sadness, and suffering. He combats desolation by turning to God in prayer. And there he receives the strength he needs. Jesus speaks to his father in a prayer that is filled with confidence and tender affection. Even in the midst of this struggle he is undergoing, he abandoned himself completely, saying, Abba, Daddy, Father, all things are possible to thee. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but that what thou wilt. Jesus desires to perfectly fulfill the most holy will of God. And so gives us this prayer that we should repeat with him. Not my will, but your will. In our lives, we too will experience moments of intense struggle, perhaps darkness and deep pain. Those moments when we're tempted to lose heart, when it is difficult to live in the divine will as Jesus did. The image of Jesus here on the Mount of Olives shows us how to proceed in those moments, to embrace the will of God without putting any limit or condition whatsoever on our acceptance of it. We will know the love of God only if we persevere in prayer. And the pain that Christ now feels is one that foresees his coming suffering. A pain that comes as he sees all the sins of mankind pass before his eyes. He sees the opposition of those who will scorn the grace and happiness he offers. He knows that for many his generous sacrifice will be in vain. His pain is not physical but a moral pain, a great sorrow at the lack of response to the great outpouring of divine love. Yet his confidence in the Father does not falter, and he persists in his prayer. In Christ's pains and wounds, which we especially contemplated in those stations, we see that awful reality of the great evil of sin which condemned him to death so cruelly. And if the one who is completely innocent suffers so much, how much should we who are sinners be punished? Meditating on the passion of Christ will help us to maintain a greater aversion to all sin. In these wounds, we find proof of his great love for us. And when we console him, then in his pain and suffering, we have that opportunity to return that and to show our love for him. For three times, he looked to his disciples to accompany him Watch with me. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And Christ feels now the pain of the failure of his closest friends, the betrayal of one of his followers, the denial by his apostles. This abandonment is also one of his greatest pains. 
This night, when his friends should have stayed awake and prayed, they slept. Just as Jesus looked to his apostles for companionship, he now looks for souls like us who will console him in his agony, accompany him on the way of the cross, and ensure that his sufferings and our sufferings are not wasted. We must pray always, but there are moments when prayer has to be intensified. To abandon prayer would be like abandoning Christ. Our daily meditation, if it is true prayer, will keep us alert in the face of the enemy who never sleeps. It will make us strong to endure and defeat temptation and difficulties. Archbishop Fulton Sheen said, We can make 20 resolutions while on retreat. And we'll break every single one of them unless we first make that resolution that we'll be committed to daily prayer, especially meditation before the Blessed Sacrament. Archbishop Sheen was a great proponent of making a holy hour before the Eucharist. Could you not watch with me for one hour? There's a story the servant of God, Fulton Sheen, told in an interview a few months before his death. He was asked, Bishop Shane, you have inspired millions of people all over the world. Who inspired you? Bishop Shane responded, it was not a pope, a cardinal, another bishop, or even a priest or nun. It was a little Chinese girl of 11 years of age. He explained that when the communists took over China in 1911, they imprisoned a priest in his own rectory near the church. After they locked him up in his own house, the priest was horrified to look out of the window and see the communists proceed into the church, where they went into the sanctuary, broke into the tabernacle, and in an act of hateful desecration, took the ciborium and threw it on the floor with all the sacred hosts spilling out. The priest happened to know that there were exactly 32 hosts in the ciborium. The communists didn't notice there was an 11-year-old girl praying in the back of the church who saw everything that had happened. That night, the little girl came back. Slipping past the guards at the priest's house, she went inside the church. There she made a holy hour of prayer in the presence of our Lord, exposed on the floor, an act of love to make up for the act of hatred. After her holy hour, she went into the sanctuary, knelt down, bent over, and with her tongue received Jesus and Holy Communion, since at that time it was not permissible for lady to touch the sacred host with their hands. The little girl came back each night to make her holy hour and receive Jesus and Holy Communion on her tongue. On the 32nd night, after she had consumed the last host, a noise woke the guard who was sleeping there. He ran after her, caught her, and killed her. This act of heroic martyrdom was witnessed by the priest as he watched grief-stricken from his bedroom window. It was this 11-year-old girl who inspired Bishop Sheen as a seminarian to decide to make a holy hour of prayer before Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament every day of his life. What a powerful testimony and witness to the real and wonderful presence of our Savior in this Blessed Sacrament given by this girl. And Bishop Sheen resolved to do the same. His sole desire was to bring to the world the burning heart of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, 
which he always said was the power and source of his priesthood. And so too, the Eucharist is our means of being united with Christ, our opportunity to join in his offering to the Father, to unite our wills with his. And what are we to offer? Living in the divine will, all our works and actions, all our words and deeds now become an offering to God, a part of our worship. In some, we offer him our very lives. Meditating on this scene of the passion, the first sorrowful mystery, let us resolve never to omit our daily prayer. Then we will, we will be able to carry out the will of God and the things we find difficult. Then we will be able to trust, praising God, not just when things are going well, but thanking him even in times of suffering. Lord, not as I will, but as you will. In the third hour of the Passion, the seventh hour of the Last Supper, the 7 p.m. hour, Louisa prays a beautiful prayer explaining why meditating on Christ's passion is so important. Oh my Jesus, I beseech you to take your passion always present in my mind, in my heart, in my gazes, in my steps, and in my pains. By this means, wherever I turn, I always find you present in me on the inside and out. And may you grant me the grace never to forget what you have done and suffered for me. May this be the magnet which, drawing my whole being to you, never permits me to distance myself from you. In other words, meditating on the passion, keeping it always in mind, first helps us to know how Christ is always present, but particularly in any moment of trial or suffering, whether a suffering experience interiorly or in the world. It helps us know exactly in moments like this, when God almost seems absent, that he is actually most near. Because it's in that moment we are closest to the cross. And then regular meditation on Christ's suffering, knowing how he suffered for me and my sins, is an antidote to sin. Because it keeps me from ever wanting to distance myself from God rather than wanting to sin quite the opposite i want to stay close to him and console him in his passion practically there's no right or wrong way to go about meditating on louise's 24 hours of the passion one woman told me how she makes a weekly holy hour where she takes 1 hour each week i know of the divine prayer group, divine will prayer group in Hastings, where they gathered 24 people for Lent. And each day, each person is taking a different hour, such that all 24 hours are prayed every day. And then the next day, you pray the next hour. And they even made a little fancy spreadsheet chart that you can follow. But please don't, you don't actually have to pray each hour at the actual time, unless you really want to get up at 3 a.m. to do the 11th hour. <laughs> the fruit for me, as I mentioned, is having gone through it a few times, is being able to recall those different times of the day, what was happening at that hour. 
Tonight, let us enter into Christ's passion. Join him in the garden, the way of the cross. Meditate on the passion, such as the 14 stations of the cross or the 24 hours of the passion. We no longer see Jesus from afar without any participation in his life. We now strive to reproduce those virtues which he displayed at every stage of his passion. His love for the Father, his love for souls, his patience and gentleness, his forgiving pardon, his obedience to the divine will, which is the source of his strength. No vocal prayer is required for this devotion. It is sufficient to follow the way of Calvary step by step with Jesus, to meditate on it piously with our mind and heart. And uniting ourselves to Christ and his passion, we can remedy any lack of fervor and dryness of prayer by refreshing our soul at the fountain of grace, which springs from the heart of Jesus. Over the next hour, I'll invite you to come up close and pray before our Lord, to grab hold of the tassel of his cloak, and place, once again, everything you hold dear before the monstrance, casting the smallest pebble of your will into the immense sea of Christ's divinity with all your love. Put your trust in his divine will. You can converse with him as a friend, and perhaps hear him speak the way St. Thomas More did, just a few days before he knew he would be beheaded. Thomas More shared that agony of Christ in his prison cell, and he wrote, It seems that Christ is making use of his own agony to speak to those who find themselves in such a situation. Be brave, he seems to say, you who are feeble and weak. Do not give up hope. You are terrified and depressed, worn down by exhaustion and the dread of torture. Be confident. I have overcome the world. And yet I was even much more afraid and appalled, since my suffering grew in proportion with the fearful knowledge of what was causing it. Look how I go before you along this path that is beset with so many fears. Take hold of the edge of my cloak and you will feel flowing from it the power that I will not allow your heart's blood to be contaminated with useless fears and anxieties. And so we ask Mary that she will show us how to meditate on our son's passion, how to come closer to him present here in the Eucharist, how to know his love, And as Thomas More says, take hold of the edge of his cloak. Feel that power so that we will not be contaminated with any fear or anxiety, but can find peace in his divine will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.